This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here. It is, uh, when, we're recording this Wednesday, August the 11th. Kind of a light show, Eric. Feels like the calm before the storm, doesn't it? Uh, I hope that's not the case because we do have a storm in the system that's coming nearby here by that's the end of the weekend. So too much. This is a tropical storm. Calm hey, Eric Burris is following it hour by hour, minute that's by his minute. Job. Baby. That's his oh, job. That's what Eric Burris is paid <laughs> handsomely to do. I, uh, hopefully, <laughs> we could find better gigs than that. But okay. That's hey, listen. Weather's always a story here in Central Florida. I'm not worried about. I'm not worried about this, the the tropical depression now. That's uh, that's uh, getting ready to skirt up the western coast of Florida. Please stay safe, everybody, especially if you're out there on the water. But uh, we have a bunch of little things to talk about, and then we and we're actually we actually have our very first season preview uh, interview with Tiffany Robert Sahadak today on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, uh, as her team is actually has already taken the field in a game against other teams against another team. Rather they played uh, uh, FAU on Sunday in a game that was in an exhibition game, rather that was shortened by whether they cut it off at half lightning in the area, which you can do with exhibition. So we talked with Tiff about her team coming in um, that struggled a bit last year uh, quite, but uh, she's pretty, she sounded pretty optimistic about, <clears throat> this year but uh we start with uh just a couple of notes on video uh, on uh on the football team uh as they are getting ready to uh, as they're in camp right now gus malzahn is has won over the fan base with that hat he wore today eric did you see that at the press conference was that a tribute to bobby bowden because i don't know if anybody question i i, I don't i don't know he didn't mention that it was but well, probably nobody asked him yeah. uh because Bobby Bowden wore, wore that hat very similarly towards the end of his career. Yeah, he was the first. He was the first football coach I can remember wearing a straw hat like that. Yeah, so I just wondered if anybody, because uh, that that was the thing that jumped out at me. There, it might have been coincidental, uh, but I because he did pay tribute to uh, Bobby Bowden on social media when obviously the passing of him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just kind of wondered if anybody wondered about that. But yeah, I mean, look, the camps are going on. The thing that has struck me from the practices uh, is that the players pretty much keep talking about how this staff is attention to detail that they've put these players in, you know, defensively in positions to succeed uh, pretty much openly saying how they've learned some techniques that they didn't learn from previous staffs. I clear. I think that's a positive from a teaching standpoint with this staff is the players have bought in. And that could be the difference maybe to attain, hopefully, for some of the maybe flaws that this roster may or may not have. You said a key word there, teaching. And I, I think I, I think Scott Frost didn't get enough credit for how good of a teacher he was as a coach. I don't think that Josh Heupel kind of understood what that really meant, um, whether or not he learns it, but he's learned it now or by the time he gets to Tennessee is an open question. But we know who Gus Malzahn is. He's a former high school coach and he was a former teacher and he knows how to apply those techniques to the game. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's fun to hear the players discuss, you know, how they they're, they're viewing the game in a different light in that respect. Um, And that's the kind that's the kind of coach that breeds coaches. 
You know, we talk about we, we talk about all the time. About one of his one of your jobs as head coach is to coach the coaches. I think he's been doing that, and we've seen that with his with the staff he's assembled. He's assembled his staff with a with an eye on turning those guys into head coaches and developing a pipeline. And I think we're going to start seeing that with a lot of the players too. We're going to see, uh, an, I think, a number of players that you know who you know maybe in the in the future if they don't go to the NFL, they may decide to go into coaching in part because they're exposed to the game in this kind of way. I think that, I know it's a really philosophical way of talking about it, but that's the part about Gus Malzahn that I find to be really exciting uh, with him here at UCF. Of course, I'm a teacher by trade, so. Right. Naturally, I think that. <laughs> right. But no, I mean, I agree. I think he's mentioned that he's a teacher by trade. And it's interesting because he did talk a lot about Bobby Bowden and his, his media availability. Talked about, obviously, the, the, the you know, the belief in, in his faith that he got that from Coach Bowden and Tom Osborne were people he looked up to. He even heard about the story that somebody asked him the question about in the 1980s when UCF football had been in some financial struggles that Bobby mm -hmm. Bowden donated Florida State's leftover equipment to UCF. Yep. And uh, Gus's quote was, quote, I heard it this week for the first time. That doesn't surprise me. You could tell the older people who have been around here the respect they have for him and the appreciation they have because of that. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Bobby Bowden really, in a lot of indirect ways, has a big influence on UCF football. Oh, huge uh, influence. Yeah. Gene McDowell, obviously longtime head coach of UCF, was an assistant under Bobby Bowden. Uh, and I think that's a story that I, I don't know gets a lot of reps. I always felt like UCF in a lot of, had a lot of similarities to try to you know pattern themselves to what Florida State was kind of doing with Bobby Bowden. So, um, you know, that even though Bobby Bowden, Florida State coach, really has had an impact on a lot of sports. So I thought that was interesting, Gus, going in-depth on that. Travis uh, Williams, the defense coordinator, talked about Bobby Bowden. Uh, but I think these guys are pleased with the things, how practice has gone. And, you know, we'll just have to see. I think they're a few weeks away from the season starting. And you know the season's close when we got polls coming out, baby. Yeah. Yeah, we've got that. We we, we do have that first coaches poll. The coaches poll always comes out first. And uh, excellent segue, Eric. I have to I have to give you credit on that one. But um, and we'll talk about some, some more of this, some more uh, polls in other uh, sports in a little bit with Tiffany Roberts Haydack because her women's soccer poll came out. But. Uh, here's the deal with the USA, USA Today AFCA coaches poll. Top five. I mean, this is pretty much like, you know, the, the, your your early favorites for the CFP, right? Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia. Some combination of that five, I'm guessing, is what everyone, what everyone thinks. A&M, Notre Dame, Iowa State, North Carolina, Cincinnati rounds out the top 10. They are uh, the highest ranked non-A5 uh, team. Uh, Florida's ranked 11th. Uh, let's see, Miami's 16th. Uh, some other highlights. Uh, uh, Louisiana, 23rd. Uh, uh, Carolina, 24th. As far as other teams in the American, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, UCF uh, received 29 votes. They're the second highest team in the uh, out of the American at, in terms of total votes. Boise State, UCF's. Uh, opening night opponent uh, was two spots behind them with 27 votes. Uh, other American athletic conference teams receiving votes, Tulsa followed by Houston and SMU. Interesting that they put Tulsa that high, Eric, but uh, uh, for me, the standout moment was, or, or the standout, this was Cincinnati being ranked 10th really high. I thought that's much higher than I thought they would get. And just to put that in perspective, you know, Cincinnati lost their bowl game last year. 
and um, finished with one loss. UCF, when they went undefeated, granted they were they were well they had a, a they had a changeover at head coach, but started the following season twenty third, and then won twelve games in a row. This is the Cincinnati has the kind of head start that UCF was hoping for that have in 2018. No. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's accurate, but part of that is look, they do have their head coach back. Luke fickle. You mentioned Scott Frost wasn't back in 2018. That was the big question with UCF here at Cincinnati. They've got the head coach back. They've got their quarterback back. They've got a lot of players back. So obviously they speak very highly and look, yeah, let's be real about it. They like Cincinnati a lot more because Cincinnati didn't piss off everybody and annoy people in 2017 with some claims. So, yeah, guess what? You get rewarded for that, I guess, in this sport. I don't um, think that had anything to do with it. I think, oh, it had a, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that Luke Fickle is back and Scott Frost wasn't. But I also think that there's, I also think that there's also four years of institutional memory and the coaches around the country recognize, oh, you know what, this American Athletic Conference is actually pretty good. They're much better than we thought we than we thought they were four years ago. I think that's another part of it. Yeah, but I also think uh, the jury's out on Cincinnati. Like I think now it's to the point where are we overrating Cincinnati? Because again, everything kind of from a scheduling standpoint, it turned out to be pretty easy for them last year. Like their toughest games were at SMU, who faded at the end of the year, at UCF, who obviously had their struggles. Uh, I'm not. We're going to find out about Cincinnati this year. They're at Indiana. They're at Notre Dame. I think this is the blue case scenario. If they win those two games, they're going to be a playoff contender. If they don't, then people are going to say, well, see, you see, they weren't that great. So, by the way, Indiana uh, is 17th in the preseason. Yeah, that's a big game. Their name is seventh. That's a huge game. This is it right here. Like I've said this in years. Your dad's Indiana. (laughs) No, and I think that's when I've said about, you know, can a team from the American make the playoff? I've said, yes, they can. I thought Houston in 2016 would have made the playoff had they taken care of business in the American because they beat Oklahoma and Reliant. They beat Louisville and Lamar Jackson winning the Heisman. UCF never had that in 20. They didn't have that marquee non-conference games, and we'll see what happens, but it's a long ways to go. And as our old friend, our old co-host used to say, we had a hat or hat on when he would come on the show, would say, and I'll paraphrase it how he would say it, would be, these polls mean nothing. <laughs> they mean nothing. You're right. I mean, we like to joke that the coaches poll is really the SID poll, right? <laughs> probably in most some cases it probably is. Now I will I should, point out, by the way, Gus Malzahn is a voter in this. Correct. Poll. I was just going to say that Gus Malzahn is a voter in uh, in the USA Today coaches poll. Um, so is Philip Montgomery. Interestingly enough, uh, the head coach at uh, Tulsa. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, Ke- other coaches in the American uh, Ken Niamatololo is a voter as well. Uh, the head coach at Navy. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm looking up and down trying to see. Oh, fickle Luke fickle himself. Is a, a lot is of men major head coaches in the poll. So this is not yeah. like, Hey, all the elite. Now, don't forget Sa- is- Saban is a voter too. Though. As right. is, as is Brian Harson at Auburn, Clay Helton at USC. Um, it goes on. Right. So yeah, Brian, a lot Kelly of coaches. At, Brian Kelly, Notre Dame. Right. So, but here's the thing, and the reason I, mean, I think Brian have said this for years that I agree with him, the polls don't matter because you got to still take care of business. In the, like Cincinnati, everybody oh, yeah. keeps talking about how they, they have this great head start. If they lose to Indiana and Notre Dame, it doesn't matter. If they don't win the league, it doesn't matter. If UCF doesn't beat Boise State, it doesn't matter. you got to win games. And at the end of the day, look, the UCF-Boise State winner of that game likely will get pushed 
to the top 25, if not close to it, with that win, and we'll build the momentum. You got to, at the end of the day, you, we win games. There's going to be teams that are ranked too high right now that at the end of the year, we're going to look like, wow, they were, can you believe they were ranked in the top 10? What a joke. And then there's going to be teams right now that are not ranked that probably have this great year. They're like, man, they, you know, they, 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 they surprise people. It, it's always how the sport works. Um, people get caught up in it, and I get it. Uh, but it really doesn't matter, especially in this format where there's a committee that's going to have their own poll come out in like well, Halloween or November. Well, well, let me, let me push back on that a little bit because I know that the committee is not going to meet for the first couple of months for the CFP committee, but you can't deny that they look at the hum at, at the, at the major polls, the coaches in the AP poll and use that as a little bit of data in forming their own polls, right? Because obviously they, they work together so quickly or so closely. And with that, in that respect, you know, this is a big boost for Cincinnati to be ranked that high in the poll, because let's say they win those two games. Let's say they're undefeated come November. Guess what? The committee is going to look at that and probably rank them. Like you said, pretty high. I'm guessing. Well, they would be ranked high even if they weren't, if they win those two games, uh, the difference is, oh, the no, I think that I think they'll, I think if they lose even one of those two games, they're going to drop pretty quick. Well, they're going to drop if they lose. I agree. But you said if they win those games, they would move yeah, up pretty win, high. I think they were going to move up regardless. But look, I mean, some people think that they have there's a ceiling, right? Like they're the, the people that say, well, they don't have a shot to make the playoff. So the odds are Somewhere there's going to be a ceiling. Five. <laughs> right, five, seven anyway. So, it, again, this poll doesn't matter if you believe there's a ceiling. And if you don't believe there's a ceiling, then you have to let it play out. Um, I, I just think it's going to be interesting to see what happens if they win those games against Indiana and Notre Dame. That's the type of schedule people, when people were critical of the UCF non-conference schedule back in 17 and 18, this is what they were talking about. There was no marquee non-conference game. And I know people want to point to the conference and I'm not saying it's fair or whatever, but I do understand what the system is. And they've pretty much been clear about it. Play quality, top, not non-conference games and clearly the current athletic director agrees with that well let's let's be fair though pretty sure when cincinnati scheduled indiana they weren't weren't thinking that indiana oh it's a lucky thing right (laughs) it's a fluky thing no it's very fluky uh on this type of deal that that you know in theory by the way we don't know if indiana is going to be that good either right like we're basing this ranking on indiana having a five six game uh format in the big 10 last year where it had COVID. I'm not sure Indiana's that good. I actually think Indiana might be one of those over. We'll find out. Tom Allen's done a good job there. But these are the games that you. I guarantee you when these games come up, Cincinnati's going to be a hot focus. And I do think the media likes Luke Fickle. I mean, Luke Fickle was a Buckeye. He uh, was a, on the Ohio State staff, played at Ohio State. He's a popular coach. He's a big-name coach. And I think people like their style. Um and I do think they should be the favorites in the American. Do I think they're the 10th best team? Yeah, maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I don't think, though, the, you know, and you asked me this question last week. A lot of people took it out of context, my answer. I'm not saying, you you know, you asked me about the gap between UCF and Cincinnati. I didn't say UCF was further behind Cincinnati. I think the gap is close. If you look at their meetings, it's been a one possession game or two at best. I'm saying an SMU potentially, and I know when we had Drew, he likes Memphis. I think this league is could beat each other up this year, which in essence could cost themselves a New Year's Six Bowl. And I think that's a topic that has to be addressed if they if, if they do expand the playoff, Jeff. And, and I've gotten this argument with Drew: is does a one-loss American Conference champion or a two-loss American Conference champion jump 
uh, an undefeated Mac team, for example, that goes undefeated who didn't beat anybody, for example. See, and I think they should. I think the American is right. far superior to the Mac. But I'm not convinced of that, and I do think but, this is where the hypocrisy of the committee comes in because I do feel like they just vote for the the high, the best record as far as the G5 is concerned. But but then but then oh well here's here's another. I mean, you mentioned the Mac, right? But you've hmm. you've told me many times you think that the Mac should be an FCS conference. I do. So so let me ask. So then let me ask you this. What if you have a one-loss American team against an undefeated Boise State? Well, I think Boise State will get the nod because of their reputation. Now, who did or, Boise or, or State beat? Say, or let's say another team from from the Mountain West. Uh, I think you got to look at Jose State or something like. Well, that. you got to look at the resume. But like, who, who's the one-loss American team? Is it a Cincinnati? Did Cincinnati beat Notre Dame? That they beat Indiana? Did UCF beat? You know, I think 2016 was another year in that. Remember Navy that year. Had uh -huh. one loss going into the championship game. And there was talk within the committee that they were going to postpone their selection an extra week and wait till the Army-Navy game because there was some talk that the one-loss Navy team would jump then undefeated Western Michigan and never materialized because Navy was upset by Temple in the American Conference Championship game. But Navy had some quality wins that year. I believe even Notre Dame, they beat them that year, among others. I do wonder... What happens there is the American. I think that's a great point you bring up. Has the perception of the American exploded to the point where they do get the benefit of the doubt? Does a one-loss American Conference champion get the benefit of a doubt over a an undefeated Mac, uh, a Mountain West team that's not Boise State right. or a Sun Belt team? I don't know about that. I don't know the answer to that. Obviously, Louisiana's ranked. Billy Napier. And the Cajuns, if they have a monster year, I don't know if the American can jump them with just one lot with a one loss, unless they have marquee wins out of the league. Uh, I think that's what it might come down to, and I think the schedule strength is a factor. I think that's why I hope when they do expand the playoff that they do not just base it on win loss record because I do think who you play should matter. You should encourage teams to play tough games. Otherwise teams are just going to play a bunch of FCS schools and go undefeated. If you're just going to reward win losses, but by the way, not just who you play, but I think that this, this also gets lost in is how you played them. Like if you're Agreed. one, if your one loss is on a field goal after a bad call on the road, for example, you know, it sh should the, should you get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt than that undefeated team? Yeah, that's a great point. Like if no, if Cincinnati were to lose to Notre Dame in overtime at right. on the road in South Bend, that's the only loss of the year. Are you really going to punish him for playing Notre Dame? Whereas I don't know, using an example. By the way, and, and by the way, a great point. Taking the overtime functionally, you played him to a draw. Exactly. You know, right? Why should they be punished for losing that game? Where and reward a team from another conference like the MAC, who in theory may not have played anybody right. uh, out of the conference. And I'm not it's saying you know playing two FCS teams like right. Like I think that or I think to me that is something that doesn't get scrutinized enough when it comes to the uh, when they pick the New Year's Six. There is did they play teams now? And look, I'll be honest with you. I think Cincinnati kind of caught a break, and this is where the American did pay off. You could have made the argument last year, right, as weird as the year was. Could you have not made the argument that Coastal Carolina had a better resume than Cincinnati? When you think back, Coastal Carolina oh, beat, beat the Cajuns, right? Beat BYU in that beat three. BYU at home. And it, by the way, in, in an excellent football game, in a game where they, in a late-season game that they scheduled late where they had all the pressure on them. Right. Whereas Cincinnati, their best wins was an SMU team that faded. 
on the road, and at UCF, who had four law ended up with four losses, was not ranked. And Army was their top non-conference. Now, again, a lot of this was beyond their control. It was a COVID year. A lot of non-conferences were scrapped. So I'm not blaming any school, but from a resume standpoint, you could have made the argument that Coastal Carolina was undefeated. Should have been had a better resume than Cincinnati. But to your point, because Cincinnati was in the American, and I think a more prestigious league, they got the benefit of the doubt and got that New Year's Six slot. You know what it is, Eric? It's that week after week American Athletic Conference grind. That's right. You know, it's the it's the weekly grind of playing in the American. That's what it's all about, right there. And um, I think that's a positive. I think you should. I mean, we do. I mean, you joke I, I about being them. slightly facetious there. No, but you no, know what but I mean. it, no. Look, I, I mean, to your point. Great. I mean, UCF has been ranked. SMU has been ranked. Cincinnati's been ranked. Tulsa's I mean, the Amer- the Tulsa, right? I mean, Memphis SMU has been a primetime game a couple years back. I mean, this league has had multiple teams, and I predict they will likely have multiple teams again ranked at some point this season. Uh, the bigger que- the question is, you know, is it is the league this year so good that it beats each other up? And if you drop a game, do you run the risk of losing? That's why I think Mike Oreska has been pushing for the America to have an automatic slot and not just be kind of uh, paired up with the other conferences. Because if you have a strong year and you lose a game or two and you win the league, you might get punished. And unlike the SEC, the SEC is the one league that seems to uh, be able to get away with a loss or two. Uh, it's although the no- league where you get rewarded for a loss. <laughs> right. It, right. And probably will now with the expanding. All right. It's going yeah. to continue. But So I think those are some of the things to look at from a poll standpoint. Uh, and from the American storyline standpoint is, is from that standpoint. Because I think, like I said, I think SMU is going to be a threat to Cincinnati and UCF. Uh, what if, here's another scenario. What if Cincinnati, this is, if you're a UCF fan, this is a great scenario, right? And if you're the American, this is the scenario you want. You want Cincinnati to beat Indiana and Notre Dame and UCF to beat Boise State and beat uh, Louisville. You could have two, at that point, I think you would have two highly ranked teams probably in the top 15, probably with college game day at Nippert for UCF at Cincinnati in that oh, scenario. That would be, huge. That'd be absolutely huge. That's what the league exactly wants. And would would be huge for everybody. Yeah. And that game would be prime time, no doubt. No doubt. So uh, one other thing I wanted to uh, talk about before we take a break and we go to Tiffany Roberts, hey, I can talk uh, a little women's soccer. Is, uh, so, all right, the stadium thing everybody's on hold right now. Oh, by the way, one last thing. I know everyone's going to ask me, when's the AP Top 25 come out? The answer is August the 16th. That's a Monday at noon. Um, now, as far as the UCF stadium uh, stadium uh, naming rights deal is going on. All right. So we and several other outlets have reported, and credit to uh, Danny Medina, by the way, all over this story, uh, that uh, 3MG roofing, uh, could very well, and, and, and is it's likely to be the next naming rights partner for UCF's uh, football stadium, according to reporting. Um, and uh, also that was confirmed actually by the latest uh, board of trustees agenda for a special meeting that was scheduled today, Wednesday, August the 11th. Uh, of course, three MG, now, uh, uh, and according, uh, it's right there, which you can read, or, or, or the agenda, the uh, deal is supposed to be 12 years, $50 million, um, which would start, and it would start September the 1st, the day before the opener. Uh, and the uh, stadium would be called 3MG Stadium. Now, ostensibly, this was supposed to have been 
you know, eyes dotted, T's crossed, and uh, and voted on by the board of trustees today, Wednesday, August the 11th, at a noon special meeting. However, that meeting was suspiciously postponed. And in fact, I'm looking at the board of trustees website right now. Uh, on their board meetings, meetings in 2021, the the uh, now. Their previous meeting scheduled for July 22nd was a virtual meeting that was canceled. Uh, uh, if you look at today's Board of Trustees meeting from 11 to 12 uh, earlier today, it just says rescheduling now. The agenda, it does not appear there anymore. Uh, and uh, the next scheduled meeting is set for August 19th from 8.30 to 11 at the Fairwinds Alumni Center on campus. So. What do we know about what's going to happen with this? We have no idea. Uh, the uh, Obviously, I think a lot of UCF fans out there, rightfully so, are hoping and praying <laughs> that the deal goes through. Um, but we've been here before, Eric, where it seemed like I, all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed, and then the rug gets pulled out from underneath UCF. And I think a lot of fans are worried that the same thing might happen here are you as worried about this or no no but i'm not as interested in the story that it'll figure it'll sort itself out i'm going to call it the bounce house and i think a lot of majority of fans are going to call the stadium the bounce house they're still going to play games there well, whatever I, I it's know called you, i know you got to call it the bounce house but you know some of us have jobs to do oh you're in a different way. <laughs> i understand if it affects you more and affects others i'm not saying i just you know, who knows? I don't know. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I can't worry about things you can't control and that it, they'll sort itself out. And, uh, hopefully they have a deal that it's in the best interest for the school and, and it works itself out. I mean, that's all I, until we get more information, you know, there's not much else to add to it. Yeah. I, I hope it does work out. I, I'm with you. I think that it's, you know, I know a lot of fans are worried about this and, and the, the bitter taste from the, how the, the roofclaim.com deal fell through, which, you know, that's neither here nor there at this point. I, I think that people kind of just want this, you know, this, this deal to be done. And then, um, and then, and then that can be good for UCF. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, let's face it, that's $20 million over 12 years. That's a lot of, that's a, that's a pretty good clip to it's good uh, revenue. No, it's revenue. For, it is. A, it, rights, right? it, it's very important. And, you know, like I said, uh, you're right. That's something that, benefits a lot of parties so hopefully it gets itself worked out uh before the start of the season and uh ucf could benefit from that so we'll just see what happens here we'll yeah. see what plays out all right let's take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk women's soccer our first preview of the 2021 2022 athletic season tiffany roberts sahadak the 99er head coach of ucf women's soccer joins us to preview her team talking about her uh, her ridiculous scheduling tactics and uh, some of the players that she expects to really step up for her team this year uh, as they prepare to uh, uh, be once again contend for the American Athletic Conference title. Stick around. Eric and I will be back in just a moment. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're starting. It's already happening, Eric. We're starting our preseason previews this week it's amazing how quickly the summer goes by uh when you're busy and kicking it off as usual one of our all-time favorite interviews one of our of course and she's the head women's soccer coach of ucf tiffany roberts hey coach how are you hey guys always fun 
coming on here and talking to you guys. Good seeing you too. Practice is underway. You guys had your first uh, exhibition already. Um, it feels like everyone, like people haven't finished moving in yet and you guys are playing games already. What's the deal here? <laughs> it's always the deal. We're the ones that kick off campus, I guess, all in all. So um, we're, uh, we're gelling and we're getting to know each other again uh, without so many restrictions. Um, so it's been really nice just having meals together and getting to know a new team. I mean, every year it's a new team. So I'm just getting to know a new team. Can I ask you more about that too? Because last year, you know, obviously the results weren't, weren't the way they were, but weren't the way you wanted, obviously. But, you know, I don't think everyone fully appreciates how much of a challenge it was with COVID and the restrictions and also playing in the spring and how, difficult it was for you to develop the team chemistry that you want to, you know, I mean, you know, zoom calls only go so far, right? I mean, so how is it how relief? Is it now that you're like, Hey, we can all be in the same room together and, and actually be a team together. Oh, it's absolutely a relief. I mean, last season was the most challenging, you know, time that I've ever had as a coach, just for our, my own family, like, um, for so many reasons. So it is a huge relief to have some kind of normalcy. I know we're not totally out of the woods, but to have some kind of normalcy, just to have our meals together, you know, at our nutrition center is a huge deal. Just that we get to see each other more often. Our meals, our meetings are in person. And um, obviously we were able to train last fall, but it was like, you're basically your locker room was your car, you know? So you just roll up to practice like old school club soccer practice. And there was no, you know, professional vibe or anything. So now that they get the locker room and we have a new facility, um, there's just a really, um, everyone's very grateful, I would say, and very appreciative of what we've been missing. And um, that doesn't go unnoticed at all. Having gone through that season on the field and obviously the challenges off the field and the adversity even dealt with on the field, you and I talked during that season. I mean, there were matches, honestly, that you left, you probably, you know, you outplayed the opponent, but didn't get the result you you should have gotten. Can that all pay off here in the fall with getting that experience for some of the players that are coming back for this team in the fall? That's the plan. Um, you know, I, I try to always take away um, lessons, you know, when, when we, don't do as well as we want to, or there's failure there. And so um, I see a lot of fire burning from these players. Um, you know, just like I said, just because they get to do things they didn't get to do, but also they know that, you know, we didn't perform at our best last season too. And so um, I think putting all that together and then in combination with a ridiculous schedule, <laughs> ridiculous, awesome schedule, um, there there's some crazy fires burning in, in their bellies right now. Um, and they've, they've been performing so far um, really well and in this preseason. So I am very excited to see how things, you know, play out. What's it like having the, this season back in the fall after the spring, because a couple of the coaches I've talked to have said, you know, they kind of like it because uh, you know, the memory of last year is so fresh, but also there's the conditioning aspect to it. You don't have that spring to sort of get healthy if there were some in lingering injuries or whatnot. So I know it's kind of, a but what do you think about that? 
Yeah, and it's kind of weird, but a lot of people too would say, oh, does it feel like it just comes so fast because you just do it boom, boom, you know, two two semesters in a row, but not really. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think I have short-term memory or something. So I, <laughs> I feel like it's, I, I felt ready. I think the team feels ready. And even though it was technically shorter period, you know, not competing than we normally do, um, I just think everyone's ready to get back to normalcy and have a real season you know that feels normal so um you know we had some injuries even in the spring so you know it's nice that for the most part people have recovered um and the roster is looking pretty good right now so it is it it wasn't actually as weird as i thought it was going to be jumping right back in from spring to fall you mentioned the roster. It's got to be one of your biggest rosters you've ever had, right? I mean, considering you have to play, you know, the extra years and all the turnover from spring and new faces. Describe the roster you have because you have new faces coming in here for the fall, but you have, you know, new fit, you know, players from the spring and the returners. I mean, just kind of as you kind of make it mesh. Yeah. First of all, I'm really excited about our returners because we essentially lost the season last year and. Um, but in this, what I tell you, I take lessons from it, you know, say the, the players that are supposed to be seniors this year, like a Kristen Scott, um, you know, Daria Rajai, um, uh, Matu Kak and, um, even Dayana Martin, like that, that was a whole year that they got under their belt that they're just, they, they've grown so much. It's so weird. We've come in this fall and this group of veteran players now, they really look like veteran players and they are playing like veteran players, which really excites me. And I'd have to say like last year, I didn't really feel that I, just because I think COVID knocked us down from their sophomores, you know, spring. So um, just having this time to train this there, I feel like we have more core of veterans now, which we haven't had for a few years. And this time that has gone by really has helped them. So I'm, we're going to be leaning on these veteran players this fall. And um, in the past few years, I feel like we've been really needing to rely on some youngsters. And I kind of like this feeling of not having to do that this year. And, um, and then maybe that's why I feel pretty good because the veterans are looking good. Let, let's ask you again about those because uh, it's six seniors and one fifth year. I think Maddie Mernon is listed as a, officially as a fifth year. Um, you had uh, Deanna Martin scored two goals the other day uh, in the exhibition. Um, you know, it, it's it, who am I, I, I see what you're saying about the seniors where, you know, that leadership is there. And it looks like you have a bunch of players who are ready to make a leap. Like they hadn't quite made the leap yet, but they're ready now. So who among them are you looking to make the biggest leap out of them all? Well, I think Dayana, because I think that she has kind of been under the radar and quite hasn't performed and done as well as she's wanted to in the past few years. I know when she first came in as a freshman, she actually was injured. So she had a setback right away from preseason. Um, and then it's like we get our hopes up and she's all ready and then you know, things fizzle out. But this year, I'm telling you, I've never seen her this fit before. She took the summers very seriously. And again, I think COVID and last year had something to do with this. It was like, it's time to get real and serious. And, um, you know, she stayed on campus and that's the first time she's done that. So I just think she's 
done all the work. And now what's really cool is that when you put in the work, you might see some results. And she's seeing that right now with her fitness. Um, and then also just productivity, scoring a couple goals in the first inner squad. So she's someone who we're ready to see a big leap. Um, you know, Kristen Scott was, um, didn't really play for us last year. She had some knee issues. And so she just decided, I mean, like I said, it was COVID and she really stood out. Um, but again, Caroline Galau, our goalkeeper, you know, she's always been so steady for us. And so just to have another year under her belt. Um, so we just, you know, there's a handful, um, you know, our center back situation. Um, we have a, a Canadian player, Ariel um, Young. She's been on our roster for a few years. Um, she's been injured for a few years and she's finally coming back. And she, she you know, she's like six foot. Um, you know, she was supposed to be a star her freshman year. And again, you just, she just um, hit this, you know, injury bug. So she might be back and, you know, we're hoping she stays healthy because she could be a huge uh, improvement. Um, just a, a big, just a big personality for us in the back that we haven't seen. Of course, obviously, as long as we've known you, you've been here. Defense has been a really big, big, big part of this program's success. Obviously, goalkeeping with Caroline, you mentioned, but also the back line. How do you feel about your defense here as you get set for the start of the season uh, going in? It, it, like I said, with the addition of um, Ariel Young, that's been that's been wonderful. Um, just to have some height, and she's played in the under 20 world cup. So she already has a lot of experience at a very high level. Um, and she, you know, playing next to Mathieu Kak from France where, you know, they have a lot of respect for one another and they're just gelling right now really well. Um, and then uh, we'll see though, because we actually have some international players that are coming in. They're just not here yet. So they haven't been in preseason camp. And so it's hard for me to know exactly you know, where they're going to fit in, but essentially, you know, they are, they are defenders. So we've got fullback, you know, one, uh, either one can play fullback position. You know, one of them can be a center back. Um, one of them can be a holding mid. So they're more defensive um, personalities. So we do need more depth in all those positions, which has been a struggle for us just because of injuries. Um, but, you know, adding them to our roster here in the next few weeks, that's going to bring more depth, more competition. And I, I have no idea how it's all going to play out. Uh, one thing we know that's played out is, uh, is you and Angel, coach you do every year. We always talk with you about this. <laughs> it, it, you just cut out. So I didn't oh, hear what you said. Oh, sorry. What, we always talk with you about the schedule every year and how insane. You so I just want to read this off for the listeners so that, so that they know exactly what we're dealing with here. Opening with Texas at home, you go to Florida, home for LSU at Ohio State, home for State at Ole Miss, home for North Carolina, and then this, and then the uh, conference schedule starts, and you play USF in the middle of the year, not the end of the year like you have traditionally, um, but they're ranked again this year. Uh, three of those non-conference teams are ranked. We probably may see more by the end of the by the time the season actually starts. Um, Good Lord, Coach, what are you doing to your players with this schedule? Clearly, you missed the non-conference portion of the schedule in the spring. You decided to make up for it here in the fall, right, Coach? That's yeah, right? what I'm saying. We were we didn't even get to play any out of conference, so we're going for it. Um, 
you know, I just, I want to be one of the best teams in the country. And you can't say that without preparing yourself or putting yourself up against the best. So, you know, to play Penn state and UNC in the same year, that's kind of ridiculous, but that's what we need to do. And if we want to win a conference championship again, we have to be prepared. And, you know, I don't have much of an ego. I'd rather learn from, from these games and um, you will grow immensely by playing the best teams in the country. And, you know, our plan is to win. And if you don't, it's still a win for me because I know that we'll be stretched either way. And then that's just going to prepare us. So um, the team's very excited. I mean, I, I showed them that schedule obviously last spring at the end of last spring, because they needed to know what they're going to be preparing for coming in. And I think that's part of the fire that I was telling you about. They've been really excited about I will tell you, it's probably the hardest schedule that we've ever put together. So um, when I probably put it together, I probably didn't know it was after COVID and all that. <laughs> we do schedules a few years in advance, but hey, maybe it'll work to our advantage. We'll see. Yeah, two top 10 teams in the preseason poll. Penn State 10 could be the favorites in the Big Ten. And then North Carolina, obviously, is always special. We remember the great match we had with them in 2017, that memorable overtime win against them. A lot of history between these two programs. We had Michelle Akers on this show a year ago. She still looks at North Carolina as a rival. They ended her uh, UCF career. So, you know, she's going to be paying attention. But that's obviously special. You played there. We're approaching the 40-year anniversary of these two programs playing for the national title always special and and I think it's something you missed in the spring you mentioned that you always love playing that tough non-conference schedule because you learn about your team as it goes which you didn't have that luxury in the spring yeah no I mean we there was like we just jumped right into it and there's no you know wiggle room for any error you know if you just go right into season without yeah non-conference and so you know if we get a couple losses and are out of conference against top opponents, that's never going to hurt you. So I'm not really worried about that. We honestly, the games we, we have the, we have to win the games we're supposed to win. And, and that's the, those are the games that I get more nervous about. Um, can't be having ties and losses to teams that we're not supposed to lose to. Um, and then you just, you know, hope that you prepare them enough and they're ready to go. And we can get some wins against some top ranked opponents. I mean, that's always the plan, but um but we'll see. But I am excited because, like I said, I think we've got a core of veterans that are ready to go and are very excited. And with the addition with some, um, you know, uh, international players, we had, we did have a couple pretty really good freshmen uh, from the U.S., some of the best freshmen we've ever recruited um, uh, domestically. Um, they've actually um, they're injured, so they will we won't have them for this fall. So that was kind of a big hit for us. Um, Mia Asenio, she was the Gatorade player of the year for Florida. Um, and um, Maria um, Tregansen, she they both played at Montverde together. So they were creating a really nice connection at Montverde in the midfield. Um, but, you know, we lost both of them uh, to ACLs this past spring. So that was a huge hit. I think, you know, the spring thinking you were going to have them this fall, especially against this uh, schedule that we're going to yeah. have. Um, but again, you know, that, that stuff happens. It's unfortunate. We'll have them, you know, next fall and they'll just be able to make an impact then. Um, and I think a lot of our seniors are going to stay around for their COVID year. So um, it just keeps building, you know, just a lot of excitement. 
Yeah, that's the other thing that's probably in the back of your mind too is roster management because the the echoes from the COVID year are going to keep going for another four years with everyone getting that extra year of eligibility. So um, when you plan out your roster for the next three years, you know, what sort of questions do you have to make about, you know, who can fit into what slot and where? Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, we've, we've taken our foot off the pedal as far as um, some of the recruiting, especially for the 2022 graduating class, because that means my seniors this year would take another year, which means I wouldn't have as much budget in my scholarship, you know, to offer to um, those rising, you know, seniors that year. So um, we've, we've really had to project, you know, what, what players that have been here, veteran players that can really help us another year. Cause for me, I'd much rather take a veteran player that I know that has been with me for four or five years than a freshman who just hasn't, competed at this level yet you know so um we just won't have these big recruiting classes probably for the next few years gotcha all right well it's it's a huge challenge that all of you uh, everyone in every sport is dealing with and i think you know you it, it depending on how the roster was shaking out before covid it's such a it, it's such a tremendous challenge i don't envy you guys having to make that balance you know it's it's hard go ahead eric you had one more question yeah, I got a couple more rosters. People always ask, like, always excited night fans about so maybe new faces, new names that people should be on the lookout for this season that could make an impact on the pitch there. Who, who's some names to keep an eye on uh, once the season gets going, especially well, besides, up front? Yeah, besides the two that I mentioned um, who won't be with us, uh, that's originally who I would have told you about. But we have a couple international players coming in. Um, like I said, um, we've got Saga Jontop from Sweden. Um, and we have, um, Marta Estupinan, uh, from Spain. She's a transfer. Um, actually she was already here in the U S Saga has been trying to come here for like over a year because of COVID she couldn't get her visa. So she's finally arriving on Friday, which is just crazy. Cause it's yeah. just been so long. Um, but I think those are two players I'll probably, um, you'll hear of, um, we had a transfer, um, Kara Young, so another uh, last name of Young, um, that will be, you know, having some time with us. And, um, you know, right now she's playing a little bit in the back for us, but um, I'm going to expect that she'll be um, playing more of an attacking role for us once we get all of our players here. Yeah, you know, this class has been well uh, taught. You mentioned some of the, the highlights of your class. Uh, the national sites that cover recruiting said this is might be maybe your best recruiting class, which is kind of a bold statement considering some of the classes you've had here. They got to prove it on the field, obviously. But what does that speak to the fact, not just this year, but the future of this program, getting this heralded class coming in? And you mentioned some of the facility uh, upgrades you guys are having as well. That's going to help you recruiting moving forward as well. Yeah, I mean, UCF is an exciting place, you know, and it, it's easy to recruit to. I mean, it's in Orlando. Think about international players wanting to student-athletes that say, Orlando, yes, like, how quickly can I get there? You know, it's where everyone vacations. And that's where a lot, a lot of the country feels that way about Orlando and UCF and our brand and how big um, it's it's gotten and people believe in it. And, you know, having Terry and a new athletic director, like, he's super exciting and really fun and very passionate um, and, uh, he's creating this like jobs program for our, um, student athletes, um, to where they are all, you know, guaranteed a job when they graduate. I mean, all these things, when you're recruiting and you can share this with families, um, it's very attractive. So not just, 
you know, you have obviously the UCF, an amazing university, but then the programs that we're offering and then the location. And then, like I said, all the new facilities um, surrounded by palm trees and sun. I mean, to me, it's full package, you know, Tim and I love it here. So we're going to try and be here forever. Um, so uh, none of us would mind that one bit. <laughs> <laughs> this is a place to be. <laughs> well, I, one player that we don't mind also being here a while is Caroline Delisle. We've talked about her in the past. The great tradition of goalkeeping in this program. She's am, among there. What have you seen from her? What can we expect from her? I know when we spoke in the spring, you she you said she was more of a vocal leader uh, because she had such a young team be, in front of her. Now, what do you see from her here this fall? Yeah, you know she um, she's really t- she's a captain. She's one of our captains with Madison Mernon and. She has stepped up to be more vocal. Madison's not like super vocal. So um, she likes that uh, side. Um, she's very uh, motivational, I think, to her teammates. And um, But she does still lead by example. I mean, you know, the way that she trains and the saves that she makes at training, I mean, she gets everybody hyped up. We, You know, I always yell, I'm glad she's on our team, you know. Um, glad we're not going up against her. Uh, so you know, just to think because of COVID. And then she also, you know, redshirt because her freshman year, she was behind uh, Vera Veras and, and uh, Chloe. So she had like two, you know, professionals starting in front of her um, when she came in. So just that year of experience underneath uh, real veteran goalkeepers. I mean, she's, she's just layering on all the experience and all the knowledge. And now she's in that place. And she, I want to say she has like three more years of eligibility. It's something crazy. It's like a big <laughs> joke. We're like, Carol, like, can you please, you know, I, like daily, I'm like, you're committing to these three years, right? Because I would really love to have a 26 year old. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how old she'd be, but, um, you know, because of COVID and her red shirt, we're going to have her for a few years and she's already playing like a veteran. Not a bad problem to have, especially yeah. in that position. So, all right. Uh, well, Tiffany Roberts Sahadak, you're at TR Sahadak on Twitter and UCF underscore W soccer on Twitter as well. And oh, there's one more thing I wanted to uh, wanted to bring up too the the new supporters group that actually UCF just announced that, that third. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you hope to see from the fans this year as well? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I hope we get a lot of support and people to sign up and, and get that going again. You know, like I said, we're we're trying to have some normalcy here and we're going to have hundred percent capacity at our games, you know, as of today, things could always change. Uh, but um, we have a great schedule. So how could people not want to come out and get excited to, you know, and so hopefully the supporters group will just be, you know, coming out and, and uh, bringing their vibes and their passion and create like a soccer experience. You know, I mean, you go to Orlando city, Orlando pride games, and they're so fun and, just going to soccer games in general, Orlando's a soccer city. The best teams in the world come to Orlando to play games. So um, why not be able to bring that same type of atmosphere, you know, to the UCF, you know, soccer complex for the women and the men at UCF. So we're hoping to, um, you know, gather all that support and create a really, really fun atmosphere for, for obviously the fans, but then also the players that are, that are working so hard on field. Pretty, pretty good year. Pretty good year to have a home schedule like you did yeah. there for it to come out. I mean, Carolina, Texas, Penn State, Memphis, South Florida. This is the year where you get to host them, and they've been tremendous as well. That's a pretty attractive home schedule. I mean, that's pretty appealing. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's no excuse. Right. <laughs> exactly. There's, the, there's no breaks on this schedule, especially at home. So <laughs> August 19th, that's a Thursday, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, most of your 
the most, if not all of the UCF women's soccer games uh, will be uh, viewable on ESPN. You know, all the home games will quite, to be honest, probably quite a few of the road games. Though we're not hundred percent sure yet on some of them since, uh, since the other schools are still working out their streaming schedules. But I think that's, that's also a huge boost to seeing all these games on TV on the mobile devices. It's uh, it's good to see you out there, coach. It's good to see your team all the time. And it's good to see uh, a full schedule of UCF uh, women's soccer once again this year. So thanks for taking the time for us. We really appreciate it as always. Good luck. And we'll see you for the uh, Texas opener on August 19th. What do you say? Thanks guys. Always fun chatting with you. Thanks for your support. Thanks as always to uh, Tiffany Roberts, to again, one of our, you know, we, we're, we're not afraid to admit that we fanboy out about the fact that she's still a 99er and she always will be. And, uh, and we're thankful for her time because she's such a great interview um, and, uh, and, and just excellent to talk to, uh, you know, going back to last year, Eric, you know, it was uncharacteristic how much this team struggled, but I think, you know, Tiff hit it right on the head that, you know, they couldn't to her, you know, the, the idea of building chemistry is so important. And I, I think that does go back very, you know, quite obviously to her days, not just at North Carolina, but with team USA and, you know, having a lot of players on there who are veterans and trying to pull them together and that pulls the younger players along. And it was really tough for that team to get, to get themselves together. They won their first two and then they went winless in their last five. Um, and that was tough. That's a tough pill to swallow, especially after it looked like, you know, they were in pretty good shape. They won that game at Temple, went home against Cincinnati and just sort of the bottom fell out. Um, lost that high scoring game against Tulsa and, and they just never really recovered after that. And it's, uh, but I suspect, as I'm as I'm guessing you do, that both she and the team view last year as an anomaly and that they are fully prepared for this season. Well, you hope so. And I think, you know, you hope you get some, you know, they have a deeper team, although, she, you know, she mentioned some of the injuries they've had, uh, yeah. but they have some players coming back. I mean, she mentioned, obviously, Kristen Scott back. I mean, to me, it's going to come down to that veterans that she feels comfortable with, that experience, that does that pay off now moving forward for them? Look, Memphis and South Florida have been the top two teams now for the last couple of years. Can UCF kind of get to that level again? You got Kristen Scott back. You got Ellie, you know, Moreno back. Yeah. You got Merton back. Obviously, Diana Martin. Can they get that production offensively? that they've kind of been lacking a little bit, be strong defensively, Caroline Delisle uh, behind the net. Uh, the big benefit is she'll have a big-time non-conference schedule, so she'll learn a lot about her team quickly here. I mean, you're opening yeah. with Texas at home, at Florida, post-Becky Burley era. Becky Burley now the new head coach, by the way, the pride of uh, yeah. the NWSL. Uh, they host LSU at Ohio State. Uh, host Penn State, which is a top 10 team in the favorites to win the Big Ten. You go to Old Miss. North Carolina's ranked third. They're a national title contender. So uh, that is an incredible night. The RPI will not be an issue or the schedule strike this oh, year. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, and I think you mentioned it during the interview. The interesting thing is they host South Florida and Memphis. South Florida's later, earlier in the year, not the end of the year, which is kind of un- different uh, from that standpoint for them. So hopefully they can kind of get some good mojo. The spring obviously didn't go as planned. A lot of stuff, but again, they didn't have players that they do have now in the fall. And uh, I do think there's something to be said for that. And hopefully they can get some results early to build up that that confidence. And uh, we'll learn a lot about this team early on. That's for sure. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Deanna Martin. I mean, she looked so good in that preseason game. 
And I think that was a, a harbinger of things to come. You know, I think they, I think the teams last year really lacked a true scoring threat. Uh, and I think that's what, that's what kind of hurt. Like they, there, there was nobody, there was no striker that they could really count on to get one when they needed. And Deanna really showed some signs. And I know it's an exhibition in one half. I get it. But yeah, Tiff did mention specifically that she expects big things from Deanna this year. And I think it's, it, she's right in line with that because the, the talent is that you, that we saw there, I think is just, she, she's ready. She's ready to really burst onto the scene. I can't wait to see what she's got in store. Five, nine senior from Boca Raton. And look what she did against a team from Boca Raton, right? <laughs> so, um, no, no joke as a player from South Florida in a, in a very, in a, in a, in a real hotbed for soccer, women's soccer down in South Florida. She was the uh, uh, Palm Beach School District Player of the Year in 2017, Florida All-American nominee, um, and is ready to step up. And I think she's going to be exciting to watch. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Caroline Delisle, too. Good as she's been the last couple of years. That she's, uh, I, I think that she's going to be a real star in goal for UCF this year. I would agree with that. And they got to be strong defensively. And, you know, hopefully, like I said, to get off to a good start, get some good results non-conference, and kind of get some confidence, that mojo going uh, into conference play. And hopefully, uh, again, this is usually the year. You host Memphis in South Florida. You know, take advantage of that. You know, the other thing that hurt them in the spring, obviously, is they had to go to USF. They had to go to Memphis with no, uh, obviously, no non-conference. So this is usually the year when you host those two, you want to take advantage there to compete for the conference title and try to get back to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2017. Yeah. Got an exhibition Saturday in Coral Gales against Miami at 1 p.m. Uh, season opener, August 19th. That's a Thursday night, 6 p.m. against Texas. Uh, and that game will be uh, televised on ESPN+. Plus. Don't forget, they travel to Florida August the 26th, one week later. Uh, at 7 p.m. before coming back home for LSU August 29th, which is their last game before the football home opener. Uh, all right, so we got uh, we got women's soccer down. We got men's soccer coming up and volleyball coming up as well in the coming weeks as we get ready uh, for the 2021-2022 uh, spring season. We'll be previewing those on the site as well as we get that going uh, here on Black and Gold Banneret. Stick around when we come back. Uh, a couple uh, odds and ends, a little news and notes we want to get to you here. As we wrap up the show, we'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. Let's uh, uh, give you some uh, some news and notes here as we wrap up this uh, show uh, here in early August. A uh, little football note here I think is pretty cool. The Hula Bowl is coming to the bounce house. Now, the Hula Bowl is a, a postseason all-star game. I remember watching the Hula Bowl in the 90s. Eric, when I was the first college all-star game I'd ever heard of because it was televised on NBC. And uh, I'd even heard of that before the East West shrine game and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the hula bowl, remember they usually played it in Aloha stadium in Hawaii, right? Hence the name hula bowl. And uh, so, but as we know, um, Hawaii's had to uh, demolish old Aloha stadium because it's not safe to play in. University of Hawaii is playing in a, a temporary stadium, uh, a high school stadium elsewhere in Oahu, uh, while they while a new Aloha Stadium is built in Honolulu. And so, in the meantime, the Hula Bowl was looking for a home, and they decided on uh, UCF. Uh, it would be it'll be played at the Bounce House, not at the Citrus Bowl. At the Bounce House, 
January 15th, 2022, pending approval by the UCF Board of Trustees. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah, this is this is pretty cool. We're going to see a, another college all-star game here in Orlando. And uh, and this is this was a, a pretty significant one that uh, uh, Ricky Williams played in the Hula Bowl, Tony Dorsett, Billy Sims. You know, we've had a lot of stars come through and uh, um, and uh, it, it, through this. And it's a chance to see some, um, some more really good college football talent uh, getting ready to head to the NFL this year. Yeah, I think the interesting question, I got to believe that UCF can make some money out of this, right? Right. Like there's there's got to be a, a motive behind hosting a game like this. You don't just host well, it for I, the I sake of hosting. The, yeah, I imagine at the very least you're going to get the gate. You're going to get the park. Right. You're going to get all that kind of stuff. You get that obviously good from a recruiting standpoint as well, because obviously you know you, you would have an all star. I, mean, I I think it's an interesting deal. I, I will be interesting to see how that plays out, how much people draw into that. I know our boy Drew's fired up about it, so he's ready yeah. to go. Excited, he was telling us on the on the group chat because he he used to cover the uh, what was it that was in Tampa? Uh, the, well, the all star game they had over there, yeah, in St. Pete. They I just, forget they which just, one that they played. In, the, the Under Armour game, wasn't it? No, that's the high school all-star game. But uh, but yeah, he says he, he says he wants dibs on the hula ball. I'm like, go for it. <laughs> January 15th. It's all yours. Uh, some tennis. Uh, oh, wait, no. One more uh, UCF football note to pass along to you. Eric, you were watching NXT last night. And that would be NXT- Tuesday night uh, for those on a USA. Yes. And uh, who happened to show up on screen? <laughs> Two UCF football alums, Parker Boudreau and Cal Bloom. Uh, they did a segment to hype up a match between uh, Kyle O'Reilly and, and Adam Cole. And they do this face-off. It's like a standoff. And, of course, they have security there because they're concerned about things could break out kind of, in a it's fight. It's kind of like the, 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 the pre-fight press conference like with, with, the, with the guy right. from MMA who always you know, breaks has to break people up and all that, right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I noticed, and you see, and I wrote about it on Black Eagle Banner. You can check it out right now. Parker Boudreaux is on the left side playing a security guy, and then on the far right, it's Cal Blue. Yeah. Um, the thing that was impressive to me about it uh, on social media, people notice Parker Boudreaux. Like casual like fans are like, he's got a it's Parker Boudreaux alert. <laughs> he really has a fan base, which is kind of wild. Uh, it's not uncommon, by the way. People ask, well, this is kind of weird. What does that mean? Well, a lot of wrestlers, a lot of times, get used as, quote, security guys or extras, you know, before they yeah. make it, you know, debut. So, hey, you get TV airtime, you know, hey, you, you know, while you're training, you're developing, let's use you in this role, you know, because we're not going to just use real security people, obviously. Yeah. So, but the thing a member that, of the cast, if you will. Right. But the thing that stands out is that a lot of social media has been buzzing about Parker. Park, I don't remember a prospect that has never had wrestling experience get this much buzz like Parker Boudreaux has really over the last year or two, starting back ever since he got compared to Brock Lesnar. Uh, the interesting thing about it that might be good news for him and even Cal is the WWE just released about 13 guys from NXT. And it's yeah. sound, a lot of reports are that they're going in a different direction, going uh, that Vince McMahon wants to go younger and bigger. Bigger, taller guys that are young. He doesn't want to go with older guy, you know, guys in their thirties that are not tall. But if Parker Patrol is not, he's not small and he's not old. So I think that's good news for him as he develops. I think he could get a. Uh, you might see him on TV here 
sooner than later. Same with Cal Bloom. By the way, they're doing another face-off next week's show for the title. Uh, I believe it's Samoa Joe against uh, Killian Cross. So they might need security there. So the guys can be back. Security entourage for Cal Bloom and uh, Parker Boudreaux, right? But it's kind of funny. They were both in the same ring together. That's the first time. Think about it. They've never been in the ring, at least on TV, at the same time. Cal Bloom made his debut uh, about a year ago on SmackDown, got squashed by Sheamus on yeah. SmackDown. But you he, got the he, two he, he fulfilled his his duty in uh in uh in in take in, in taking a beating for a while from a from a superstar, right? Agreed, agreed. So hey, one step closer for both of those guys and who knows, we might see them in the ring together again in a in a match, maybe together, maybe uh, against we, each other. We need Triple H to 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 set it up. UCF against UCF. Cal Bloom, Parker Boudreaux in the ring. Let's sort this out. Come on, man. I'm I'm down for it. So we'll see Come what on, happens. Hunter. That's right. That's right. Make sure giving the boys the opportunity there. So we'll see. And Parker, you can tell Parker has the charisma on social media. He's already learned how to tease the the everybody. Just teasing oh, everybody. It's, yeah, he's got it's, the wrestling it's, it's persona. Kind of, it's kind of absurd at this point, by the way. Like how how much of a tease he's been on social media. It's crazy. Um, Cal Bloom, interesting, doesn't really have overly much of a social media presence, but. You know, I, I think I was worried when I saw those uh, those uh, 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 layoffs that WWE was having. I was worried that Cal could get caught up in that, but I'm glad to know that he's not. You know, so um, hey, the more UCF people we get to see, uh, the better. Now, NXT, where are they filming that? By the way, uh, they don't. They're not at the Performance Center. They're performing it uh, at the Capitol Arena uh, here in our Central Florida. I don't know where the Capitol Arena Capital is. Capitol Arena. Yeah, that's what they're calling it, at least on TV. Are you sure that's not the what, just what they call the performance center? Uh, I don't think so because like they the were venue they, inside the performance center. I mean, unless it could be a different part of the end venue. Uh, I'm not sure. We'll find out as they do more. They're doing all TV from there. Basically, they're not traveling unlike the other shows. Uh, so I, it's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting deal there what they've got there for the really and it's going to be back to more of a developmental but i so i would assume it's at the performance center maybe it's in a different location uh from that standpoint but uh we'll see i mean we'll see what happens there uh development hopefully parker boudreau as long as we see him on tv mm-hmm. all right all right well that's yeah so if you if they're getting if they're putting you on tv that's still a good that's still a good sign security or not all right uh some back to talk about um uh, you broke some schedule news this uh, this week, Eric Lopez. Uh, Miami and Auburn on the non-conference slate for UCF basketball. Yeah, I wrote about a black and gold banneret as well. The UCF basketball through other schools' sites. You talk about a tough non-conference schedule. We talked about that with Coach Sahadak. Look at UCF men's basketball. They're going to go to Auburn December 1st. Auburn's a team that a lot of people believe could contend for the SEC title this year. They're top 15 in John Rostein's top 44 poll. Uh <laughs> Then you got an announcement where they're going to UCF's going to Miami November thirteenth uh, to play. They're going to host Oklahoma November twenty seventh. Uh, this is a pretty impressive start to the schedule here from a non conference standpoint for Johnny Dawkins and company. Plus, you know, I remember Brian Murphy, our old buddy, reported this last year when Michigan UCF. Remember they scheduled that home and home where they played at Michigan. In theory, Michigan could be coming back to UCF. Now, we don't know that officially, but Michigan could be coming. So you could have UCF hosting Oklahoma 
and Michigan in the same year, unless they decided to push the Michigan game because of the whole reshuffling of the schedule. Uh, I don't know if that'll be the case, but yeah. my goodness, this could set up to be the most challenging, you uh, toughest, and yet exciting schedule in the history of UCF basketball. Yeah, this is big. One other, uh, no, I mean, you mentioned the FSU game uh, down at the BB at the Orange Bowl at the Orange Bowl Classic in December. Yep. And then uh, Jacksonville also appeared on the schedule for November the sixteenth. Uh, the Jacksonville Dolphins uh, are, uh, uh, let's see, they well, I mean, old day sun foe, right? And then we know the schedule pairings for the American side of the schedule, but that's just the pairings. We don't know the dates. So uh, UCF's playing everybody twice. Uh, and the only teams they play once are are Cincinnati, who they host, and SMU, who they travel to. So, but think about it, Florida State's another team that's going to be a top twenty-five team. So you go to you, de- you go down to Sunrise, you play Florida State in December. You're going to Miami to play Miami. I feel like that Miami game is a return game from a couple years ago when, we, if you remember, UCF hosted Miami right. a couple years ago there. And then obviously the Auburn game is the home and home. Last year UCF beat Auburn. Uh, deal but man and then Oklahoma remember they were supposed to host Oklahoma last year that got postponed for COVID that Oklahoma game is going to be the Saturday after Black Friday so but again challenging non-conference schedule very fitting for a Johnny Dawkins he's always scheduled very difficult and uh, boy he's, he's off to a heck of a start and who knows Michigan could be a part of this may not either way a challenging schedule and then of course you mentioned the American conference slate while we don't know the, the, the obviously the dates for that we do know the opponents and who they play twice and who they won't so uh man Johnny Dawkins ain't messing around yeah yeah no, that's what's good to see again we talked about it with Tiffany Robertson Hayek right it works for basketball too it's challenging and it should be um, and that's the only way to really figure out how you're going to, you know, what you're going to, where your team is going to be, uh, in the, uh, in terms of, you know, what the quality is going to be going forward. So applause to Jotty. So we've got, uh, another basketball to, uh, pass along NBA summer league. Um, Aubrey Dawkins was a late ad, uh, by the Washington wizards. And he stepped in quite nicely, I thought, in his uh, summer league debut uh, on uh, on Wednesday, uh, or, or excuse me, on Tuesday. Uh, Six point seven rebounds, two assists, but he was um, he was active on the boards, like we mentioned. But had uh, looked like he expanded his game in terms of running the point. I thought he played really good defense. I was watching some of that game as well. Um, you know, defense wasn't really known to be one of Aubrey's uh, strong points uh, when he was at UCF, but, but wow, I thought he performed really well uh, defensively uh, for the, uh, for the wizards in, uh, in what is Aubrey's second stint in the NBA uh, summer league. He's looking to latch on with somebody and uh, um, you know, may as well be the folks at Washington or hopefully he can get a job somewhere else. But uh, did you catch any of the highlights from what he, from, from that game? I didn't get a chance to been locked in on the uh, Jalen Suggs era, the magic there, but uh, look, Boy, I mean, has that been exciting by the way. <laughs> yeah. He's been fantastic. I mean, uh, he, he looks legit. I think magic fans have somebody first. Peri- I think it's the first perimeter player. The magic been excited about. Wow. Maybe since Penny, if you think about it, I mean, Jameer was kind of a nice surprise, you know, Oh, that was cool. Victor Oladipo? 
Were people excited when Vic they drafted? I guess they were. I, but I, I think Suggs going to be better. We'll see. Uh, find some shooters around him, though, please. Uh, that's still going to be an issue. But nonetheless, yeah, look. Look, Aubrey's obviously an opportunity to showcase himself and trying to work himself into a league and work himself into a contract. I mean, Taco Fall is going to be a free agent. So it's about finding work, man. It's tough. I mean, the good news is they have a summer league. This is the showcase. This is where all the scouts, all the teams are going to be at. So if you stand out, you'll you'll be noticed. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was just really encouraged to see, uh, to see Aubrey with the defense. Yeah. I, I just thought that, you know, he looked really active. He looked like a much different player, um, than, than even what we saw at UCF. And, and I think that that was what was, uh, a, a much improved player. I and mean, we know obviously how explosive a scorer he can be, but like, but let's face it, you know, you make it to this level, even the NBA summer league, everyone's an explosive scorer in college, right? It's what you do in the other parts of the game that matter. Why are you a full player? And I think he's really developed himself. Well, and then to develop a consistent shot outside, especially in the in the game today where perimeter shooting is paramount. Uh, it's very difficult to be in the league if you can't shoot. Right, right. But he's shown he can shoot. So we'll see how that uh, works out going forward for Aubrey. And we'll be monitoring him <clears throat> as uh, as UCF's or, or as his uh, summer league week uh, continues. One last story I wanted to talk about is uh, men's tennis. How, let's let's reach out some 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 uh, congratulations to Trey Hildebrand, the ITA National Summer Doubles Champion. Now, the ITA they host these uh, tournaments all throughout the summer and the fall before the spring NCAA season fires up, and uh, they have the spring um, this uh, sp- uh, spring tournament or excuse me summer tournament, um, and uh, Trey uh, matched up with Patrick. Cacciatore, love that name, from the University of Nebraska. And uh, they defeated Jared Pratt and Sebastian Vile, both of the University of Wisconsin. Sebastian Vile sounds like a comic book villain, by the way. Um, in the uh, men's uh, doubles final, the ITA Summer National Championships at uh, uh, on campus at Florida State. So uh, congrats to Trey. You know, he's coming back this year. Uh, a, a reloaded UCF men's tennis team. Uh, and they're already bringing home hardware, Eric, and we haven't even really started the start of the fall yet. This is good to see. Did you just say, though, a UCF player, Nebraska player winning together, together playing together? Right. What? Yeah. No I way. I know. Weird. How about that? Weird. No, look, Trey is a great doubles player and a singles player. Remember last fall, he won the singles tournament as well. So obviously, Trey, obviously, all-American doubles player is going to have another monster year. UCF will be loaded once again. They'll be ranked. They'll be content favorites to win the league. And obviously, I think still with some unfinished business, probably internally there, they feel they can make now now that they've been to host a tournament, they won a tournament match. Now it's about getting further. And I think it's just just continues to grow. That's the that's the part I like the most is the fact that they're coming into the season with a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth little bit after the after the way it, uh, everything ended last year i think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch this year so hopefully we'll get the chance to talk to john roddick uh uh soon probably closer to the spring as the spring season gets ready to fire up although his team is uh obviously going to have a, a busy schedule in the fall as well as will the uh women's team as well so uh that's going to wrap it for us here on the black and gold banner at podcast eric uh wow we've got uh we're going to be moving along with our uh, previews in the uh, for the fall sports. We got volleyball coming up. We got men's soccer coming up. Um, we're going to be dumping a lot of content out for uh, football that we've been saving up for a while. Position previews, 
five biggest questions facing UCF football that we do uh, every year. This is going to be a, a busy time here coming up for us here in the month of August as we're just, uh, well, uh, the 11th will give us 21 days until UCF and Boise State. 21 days. Here we go, man. It's happening. It's going to be wild. Looking forward to it. And it's kind of wild to see the fall sports back in the fall. I know. Uh, you just saw them in the spring with so many storylines. So many. What, what, let me ask you, what is your biggest storyline? Non-football. Because obviously Gus is the big storyline. Football obviously is always the big story. But put that aside. Put the basketball. You look at men's soccer, women's soccer, volleyball. Which of those sports do you think is the most has the most? What's the most intriguing storyline you're looking forward to? As oh, we kind of start, I am I'm always biased. You guys know me. I'm going to pick the volleyball storyline, and I'm going to and my storyline there is <clears throat> what does you know, UCF could win four consecutive conference championships this year, but it's going to be a, as tough a road as they've ever had in order to do it because there's no conference tournament. Um. Which, you know, which, by the way, if there was one, they would be hosting this year. Um, but uh, no conference tournament this year. All regular season, a brutal non-conference schedule. Um, can they pull it off? Can they pull off a, a four-peat in, uh, in, in volleyball? Now, it's been done before, but it was done in the early 90s. And, it was, and the first one was at, under Laura Smith. And the first one was at a time when if you won the conference, you didn't necessarily get an, get a bid to the NCAA tournament. There were, there were, uh, there wasn't an auto bid for the TAC at the time. Uh, now UCF ended up winning the conference four straight years. Um, they got into the NCAA tournament, which was 32 teams. I think back then um, three, the last three, this, this could be a chance for Todd Dagenet and, and McKenna Melville to make some, Huge history for UCF for UCF volleyball this year. That's that's my big storyline. What about you? And then two, try can they break through and get to the Sweet Sixteen? No UCF yeah. team in Division One era has ever done that. McKenna chasing history should be on the verge. Thousand kills, thousand digs in her career. Only six UCF players have ever done that, uh, among others. I think that's a good storyline. But how about men's soccer? Obviously, the remarkable spring, winning the championship, getting to the Sweet Sixteen. They've won what three straight. Yep. Regular season titles going for a fourth with a new goalkeeper. Yannick Erdo now playing professionally, signed with the Revolution. That's going to be weird not to see Yannick in the net. Who steps in in those shoes uh, for UCF? He was the, the really this was he was the star of the team this past spring. Now who steps over? I think that's a big storyline on the men's side. I think your volleyball, you've hit it. Uh, and we've addressed the women's soccer. Can they get back? I mean, who would have thought right now you got men's soccer winning championships, women's soccer trying to get to that level. So fascinating storylines this fall. Uh, it To me, is who replaces Yannick in the net? And, you know, can UCF still be, win the title without, a, you know, with a new goalkeeper? It's going to be very interesting. And we'll be following all those storylines with you all the way through. So, uh, once again, don't forget to uh, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. You can follow all the rest of us as well at Black and Gold Banneret. We have our Twitter list in the masthead. Make sure you check that out and follow us all for the latest news on uh, everything UCF sports. Uh, in addition to that, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you don't already. Uh, if you listen, to, if you listen to your podcast on Apple devices, we are on Apple Podcasts. If you listen on Android devices. 
You can download them wherever you get your podcast, be it Spotify or what have you. Uh, if you do listen to our podcast and you do subscribe, we thank you so much. We appreciate it. Make sure you leave us a comment and a rating uh, on uh, on our pages on wherever you wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, if you uh, and also uh, if you don't subscribe, well, obviously you know where to subscribe to us. But um, in addition, tell your friends about us. Uh, we are the longest running continuous UCF podcast uh, on the on the internet, and we're really proud of that. So don't be afraid to tell your UCF uh, friends all about us because we try to provide as full a picture of UCF sports uh, as we possibly can, week in and week out. So once again, for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. This has been. The Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We'll catch you next week.